chocolate. 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 From Dame Cacao, I'm Max Gandy, and this is Chocolate on the Road, the show where we explore hot topics surrounding cacao and chocolate cultures around the world. So let's hit the road. Before we start the show, a quick disclaimer. Creating Chocolate on the Road is a one-woman operation. Overall, it's very enjoyable. I do my best to get a complete view on the topics and destinations, but some places and topics are certainly more challenging than others. So, if you know of any other resources for these destinations or topics, feel free to reach out through my website or social media, all of which is Dame Cacao. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O. If it's new and relevant information, I'll add it to the show notes on my site. And who knows? It might just inspire a new episode. Everyone has built some kind of life online. And for many people, part of those online lives involve an online business. To get to the bottom of how craft chocolate was built up over the last couple of decades, I spoke to three of the people who built foundational chocolate businesses using the internet. As I've touched on in the Millennials episode, access to information was one of the main reasons craft chocolate has been able to grow. Whether they call it craft chocolate, bean to bar chocolate, or specialty chocolate, each of my guests has decades of experience in the specialty chocolate industry. But beyond building this industry up in person, they've also built it up online. Each person fills a different niche, from home chocolate making, to building a chocolate business, and filling in the gaps before, during, and after. My name is John Nancy. I am the founding alchemist for Chocolate Alchemy, a company that teaches you how to make chocolate at home and gives you everything you need to do that. I'm Pam Williams. I'm the lead instructor and founder of Ecole Chocolat, professional school of chocolate art. My name is Clay Gordon. I'm the creator and the moderator of thechocolatelife.com, which is a global community with members in over 160 countries. I'm also the author of a book called Discover Chocolate. John, Pam, and Clay have been unquestionably instrumental in developing craft chocolate. But what drew me to these three in particular is their understanding of innovation rather than replacement. Home chocolate makers wouldn't replace Hershey's. Neither would small chocolate businesses. But they were coming, and they needed somewhere to chat and to troubleshoot their problems. John, Pam, and Clay's long-ago decisions to jump something represented vision. The complementary development of their businesses represents the development of craft chocolate. While it's not for everyone, it's definitely not a fad. It's here to stay. So each of our entrepreneurs' ventures represents a different layer of craft chocolate's development. The making, the selling, and all of the little details before, during, and after. So let's set the scene a bit. Clay Gordon is our connector. Sort of a chocolate translator. 
He's largely known for being the creator and moderator of The Chocolate Life. But his role as a connector of people to information started well before The Chocolate Life. I started writing about high technology topics back in 1985 and have ridden a couple of different waves of technology. And so I'm you know, really aware of what it takes to understand a subject well enough to be able to educate people about the subject. And so part of the chocolate life was I didn't know all of the answers to all of the questions. I didn't want to pretend that I knew all of the answers to all of the questions. And so you know, one of the great benefits of the chocolate life for me is on a regular basis, almost daily in some cases, I'm learning something new. And you know, that is the motivation. I help you so you can help me. And I can learn things and I can share what it is that I know. And it's, I mean, we can make the argument that the only reason that the small maker chocolate movement, what we call the craft movement, um, it was possible because of the internet, possible in the time frame that it happened was the internet, the ability to go find information, whether it was on Chocolate Alchemy, John Nancy's website and community with his um, with his message boards, or 70percent.com from Martin Christie, or the Chocolate Life. I mean, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine the whole movement growing as quickly as it did without the free availability of information. This is one of the fundamental differences between where we are now and where we were 10 years ago. I had the good fortune to be in the right place at the right time with the right idea. And so I was able to do something that is much, 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 much harder to do now. So I had this epiphany in 1994 when I realized that while there were professional critics for everything you could think of, television, radio, wine, beer, spirits, cigars, architecture, I mean, you name it, there were no professional critics for chocolate. And so I had that idea and realized that, oh, wow, not everybody sees what it is that I see. And so I've got some time to figure it out so that when the wave starts cresting, I can be there. And so I had the luxury of having seven years of trying to figure this out. I got my first job in chocolate in 1998, selling DeMorean Cuisel in two high-end restaurants and hotels in New York. You know, that experience, you know, being around long enough to convince people that I was serious about what it is that I was doing, that I had learned stuff. I had things, original ideas that I could communicate, observations um, that I could give to people. That that took a long time to develop. I mean, there are people now who have successful communities and successful blogs who have never been to origin. And I don't know how you write about cocoa and chocolate without actually having been to origin. I just don't know how you do it. But I think that one of the things that is the downside of the internet, the downside of Facebook, the downside of um, Instagram, is that once something falls below the fold in your feed, once it scrolls off the bottom of your feed, it's old. And so the desire to get something up there, to get something up there quickly not necessarily to do the best job of research or to make sure that all your facts are new or that you actually know what it is that you're talking about. Um, there are a lot of things on the internet that are just flat out false. Uh, it makes the job of those of us who come from an old school journalistic background, 
uh, it makes our jobs a lot, lot harder. Since the Chocolate Life started in 2008, it's become an information hub and passed 10,000 members globally. But from our conversation, I understand its role to be more like that of a pocket mirror. It shows Clay and anyone else paying close attention what the trends are, what we're struggling with as an industry, what our backgrounds are, and so much more. And this is what he meant for it to become. After he realized that his 2001 site, Chocophile, wasn't a way to actually make a living working in the industry, he set off to find a mutually beneficial way he could. I was never clear that I was going to be able to build a business off of this. What I did is I approached it as if I could. So one of the differences between chocophile.com is I thought of what I was doing as a business, not as a hobby. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do I make money rating and reviewing chocolate? And it's impossible. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to make a, a good living rating and reviewing chocolate. I don't know anybody who has a successful newsletter that is paying them anywhere near the same kind of salary that a newsletter in wine, for example. You know, the idea of learning to make chocolate and making it chocolate well was not my one of my primary motivations for starting The Chocolate Life. The primary reason is that privately I was receiving e you know, emails every week asking me questions and asking questions that I had no way of answering. I mean, a real question that motivated me to create The Chocolate Life was somebody wrote in and said, I was in Italy with my wife 20 years ago and we had this candy and it had a green and gold wrapper. Do you know what it is? And do you know where I can buy it? And I realized I didn't know the answer off the top of my head. And I realized that to find the answer would take a fair amount of time. And there is no way I could get paid for finding the answer. And so by outsourcing the answers to questions about cocoa and chocolate, I figured that, ooh, if I had a member in Italy and the member in Italy saw this question, they might know the answer. So that was the primary motivation, which was to uh, create community around cocoa and chocolate with the express purpose of how do we go help each other find answers to questions uh, about any topic in the subject of chocolate. And so it turns out the answer is the, the, the it's a candy called Avellana. It's a type of Janduya, but it's not imported into the United States. And so you know, I wasn't able to completely answer the question that I got. So while Clay and his growing site was fielding queries, John Nancy was fixing chocolate machines and answering some questions of his own. To dig into what made John start Chocolate Alchemy, I asked him about his first experience on the internet. The first time I was probably on the internet, and, and with other people at least, uh, was a homebrewing board. I, I, at that point, it was a, like a community chat room. And talking with other makers, even way back then, this was like back in the 1990s, I think. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't pick out the exact year, but a bunch of us brewing enthusiasts talked in a chat room. For me, it was connecting with fellow makers. I mean, that's what it was about. And then about what it was like to be part of those online groups. Our ideas outstripped the hardware at the time. And once it started really expanding, it got very exciting as the industry grew. It's like throughout my life, watching these parallels 
happen over and over. Computers, you start small, it grows, people get dissatisfied, more things come out, the industry grows again. And yeah, I've watched it with computers. Um, I watched it with homebrewing. And boy, look at chocolate right now, it's doing the same pattern. Even though chocolate is a very global industry, and Clay has been able to travel all around the world for some of his consulting projects. John is more of the every chocolate maker. For personal reasons, he hasn't been able to travel much, so he works in his community a lot. Most of his relationships, like many of us, were born online. But out of some of those connections, friendships and a business have grown. Russ is my right-hand man with Chocolate Alchemy. He is one of the greatest joys I had on meeting somebody from the internet. He has been with me from the absolute beginning. Um, he coded the first site for me for Chocolate Alchemy. So 2002, when we started working on it, and it, the company officially opened two years later. Um, and we've had a long history together. And we, we had a friendship grow out of it. And... Uh, we only met for the first time a couple years ago. Unlike when I meet customers, I don't know them. This was so amazing. I met him for the first time and it was the person I knew online. It was exactly the same. We picked up all the old banter instantly. And so that was just fantastic. It was the friend I knew. Yeah, yeah. No, one of my best friends now, she's, she's from Vietnam. And we've only met twice now. We just met the second time in person like two weeks ago when she came to Korea, but we'd talk every day. We just, we'd chat. Yep. And I was worried when I went to Vietnam, like just to meet her, that it would be weird. But no, it was just like seeing my best friend again. That sounds similar. It's that everyday chatting. That's it exactly. Yeah. I'm not yeah, surprised at all. That's how you, you two took. Exactly. Yes. All right, so was there any point in which you realized like the internet was going to be big? Like, oh, this is a big thing. Probably in the late 90s, I suddenly realized uh, that this worldwide wide internet had become something that I remember reading about in a science fiction book two dec or a decade earlier, or maybe two decades earlier, because it was science fiction, about this interconnected web, as they called it. They even called it the internet. It wasn't the World Wide Web because it didn't exist, but it was the internet we know now. Um, but they described it in science fiction terms. And it was like, oh, that's a neat idea. I can't see that ever happening. I remember thinking that, you know, this is this time when we, we barely had tape drives and stuff like that. And it was just this little flash of not epiphany. I don't know what you would call it. Just this realization of, oh, wow, it exists. What I didn't think might ever happen. So for me, it's just the world just kept getting, the interconnectivity just kept getting bigger and bigger. It was just finding, you know, what's the newest connection? And at some point it spanned the entire globe, but I, I never went out and discovered, oh, there's this corner doing this. It was just sort of a given. I was like, well, of course there is. Just like, you know, I know the world that existed outside of my neighborhood. I just didn't necessarily get to it, but I knew it was there. When you started Chocolate Alchemy, documenting like home chocolate making did you intend to be the massive resource that it is 
I absolutely intended it to be exactly where it is. That was my, my goal from the very beginning. A lot of people, um, and I, I, there's no insult in it, and I don't take umbrage to it, but many people were of the opinion of, oh, wow, you got so lucky that your hobby turned into a business. And it's absolutely not what it was. It was a really long tail business plan that I put in motion on purpose. And so it's right. It, I can't say it's exceeding what I wanted. It is absolutely where I wanted it to be. The, the backstory I always give people is when I was in my twenties, um, reading various fantasy novels, Tolkien, uh, stuff like that. Um, they always made, um, these pubs with their casks of ale sound so appealing, so romantic, frankly. And it was like talking to some of my friends at the time of, wow, wouldn't it be cool to brew my own beer and serve it in a pub? And the resounding answer was, well, that's sort of a stupid idea. We'd want to drink your homebrew. And now we kind of look at the home, at the brew pubs and all of the, the craft breweries. And my thought with chocolate was, wow, hmm, somebody could make chocolate at home. And I'm not going to miss this boat. Instead, I'm going to build this boat. And to my mind, that's kind of what happened. Um, and as far as a turning point goes, it happened about three years ago. And I can't put a date to it, but it's about three years ago when I started getting emails uh, from people who were already chocolate makers. And they were searching the internet for more information and they came across my site. And that, that what I mean by that, that this is different is I wasn't their first line. They didn't learn it from me. They learned it from people who'd learned it from me. The next generation had come around already. And so that was a big turning point. Uh, um, I don't mean, and that's not meant with any ego. It was just an observation of, wow, there's chocolate makers that, didn't start with me because for a decade they had all started with me in one form or another. Chocolate alchemy is more than legendary in the specialty chocolate world. But John is not the only one who's been schooling the chocolate world for a decade and a half. We opened the business in January of 2003 and a week later, I had my first student who was from the Netherlands. And that was like, I went, oh my gosh, you know, somebody out there has found me. And that was like the first kind of exciting thing that happened. And after that, things just started trickling in. We had our first program and it was like, you know, I always tell people, it's like, you know, having a party, kind of like, you know, planning a rave and seeing if people turn up. And that's what our business is like. You know, we we hold a, a party every, you know, a class every uh, specific times during the year and just keep our fingers crossed that people still are interested in, in what we're doing. After 15 years in operation, I think it's safe to say the people remain interested. If you're keeping track, so far, the year is 2003, 
and we have Clay fielding all sorts of queries on his site Chocophile, John answering maker questions on Chocolate Alchemy, and Pam teaching the business building side of it all. Between the three of them, I think it's safe to say that they created a pretty solid foundation for the specialty chocolate industry of today. But if you listen closely, you'll hear that Pam said they opened their virtual doors in January of 2003. That's several months before Chocolate Alchemy. So it begs the question, what convinced Pam to get into the chocolate teaching business and online of all places? We all come to chocolate from a, a different perspective. In 19, well, way long time ago, I, when I first got into the chocolate business and had opened my chocolate shop, I went and visited with Gary Guitard at the Guitard Factory. And I'm going to say that was like the mid-80s, somewhere around in there. And Gary and I, Gary took me through the factory at Guitard. And that was fascinating. That got me really hooked. So I've been in the chocolate business for 30 years. So the teaching part of it is only been in the last half of my life in chocolate. You started Eco Chocolat through the internet. It's a primarily internet-based business. Was that very purposeful? Or like some people maybe would start selling online these days because they don't have enough money to start a brick and mortar or they want to keep people updated and go to farmer's markets. But you started in, in 2003 online. Could you tell me more yes. about that? Yeah, the the reason why we did is in, up until that time when I, I decided I could do that, um, I had been answering people's questions by email. And those people weren't in my community at all. They were from all over the world. My goal was to work with people who wanted to start a business in chocolate, in whatever field of chocolate they wanted to get into, who wanted to start that business. Um, but none of them were from my region or town or anything. They were from all over. So it, so it, um, it started as an online business because I had been, been creating online education for about maybe seven years when I came up with this idea. I'd been doing it in the, the field of technology, but not in, in chocolate, obviously. But th that's when I said to myself, you know, I, I could teach someone how to open a chocolate business online. And because I had been in the business myself, because I had the knowledge of how people learned online, what the possibilities were online to reach people in their communities who wanted to do this. And I knew how to code because I didn't have to pay someone to code. I knew how to code and I knew how to set it up because I had been instrumental in setting up the uh, uh, online learning platform for the University of British Columbia that I was working with. And all that, all those three things kind of had to come together to make it, to make the idea be a light bulb for me. 
you know, if I hadn't had those three different things, I may not have had that light bulb. The, the choice was never to be online. The choice was always to be online. The choice then became, well, do we open a brick and mortar as well where students can come and learn with us? Online was always how we were going to open the school and, and have be able to reach the people that needed us. So with the sharp combination of technology and chocolate skills, Pam had the experience and cultural awareness to see this opportunity clearly. Back when advertising online was still a new and relatively unpopular concept, Pam took full advantage and still does. People in Vancouver and my community don't really know that our school exists because we don't like advertise here. We really reach all of our students online. Um, we spend a lot of time and energy and money in uh, our SEO efforts and our social media efforts um, to make sure that, that someone who's in Bangkok, for example, and wants to open a chocolate business knows that we exist. I'm not going after a particular market. We're there for people who want to open a business, and they could be in any country or any region. Reaching your target market, the people who matter, matters a lot. Over time, being well-connected and easily found online can translate into being well-connected in the real world. Clay Gordon is our connector. I have been incredibly fortunate to fall into or be connected with, you know, people who gave me the opportunity to do lots of really, really interesting things with my life. And I think, you know, what it is that I'm doing now is I'm trying to take all that experience, all that stuff I've learned and say, how can, you know, how can I apply it to this world of cocoa and chocolate? So I've got this project down in Mexico, where, which is partially funded by the federal government and partially funded by the state of Tabasco. You know, looking at the technical capacity of Tabasqueño cocoa farmers, you know, how can we produce better cocoa if we're going to export it? We're working on a denomination of origin, and we want to make it get the first working denomination of origin in cocoa in the world. And my my primary role in this is international markets. So if I'm, you know, collecting a list of chocolate makers and cocoa brokers and things like that, um, this is also going to help the project that I'm working on down in Mexico. And, you know, we're working on grading standards and quality standards. And, you know, I've been involved with the Cocoa of Excellence and developing a visualization for the International Cocoa Awards that they're using. It is amazing for me to think that the guy whose chocolate inspired me to get into the chocolate business, Stefan Bonat, in 1994. It was his chocolate in 1994 that I ran across that inspired me to get into chocolate. Now, four years later, I cold called him and said, I want to come and visit. And he opened he welcomed me with open arms into his factory in, in France. And, you know, 20 years later, you know, we're still friends. While many of the developments which enabled the modern internet parallel developments in chocolate, sometimes tech innovations helped both industries. Getting my first smartphone was probably the tipping point. 
So I had in my hands a device that would that would enable me to type in messages rather than having to use you know type letters. So I think having my my first smartphone was when I realized that oh I could perform pretty much most of the communications that I wanted to on the telephone, and I would be able to keep track of what was going on online on the talk of life from my phone. And I, that's, I think that would be the tipping point for me. Uh, and, you know, just, you know, far fewer calls. I, I, you know, I used to spend tens of hours every week, hours a day on the phone in my previous jobs. And now if I spend an hour a week on the phone, two hours a week uh, on phone calls, that's a lot because of the asynchronous nature of uh, email and texting is people don't need to be in the same place at the same time, even if the connection is electronic. So you can send me an email. I can respond when it's convenient for me. I can send you a text. You can respond when it's convenient for you. There's no doubt whatsoever that, in my mind, that the widespread availability of this kind of interpersonal communication via email and the ability to create repositories of information incredibly cheaply. So everybody could become their own publisher. Everybody could become their own reporter. And the, the tools are widely available. These are the things which enabled craft chocolate to grow much, much faster than the craft beer industry grew. The craft beer, its, its beginnings were pretty much pre-internet. And the ability to communicate the way we take for granted now weren't there. And so it took a lot longer for the communities to form. It took a lot longer for the information to be distributed. And so it took a lot longer for the craft beer world to grow. So having watched not just the internet grow, but also craft chocolate grow, what are the big moments or periods of exceptional growth that you think have helped define craft chocolate? We're in the middle of this period of amazing growth. I mean, in 1997, you know, Scharfenberger arguably kicked off what we think of as the modern craft chocolate movement. Um, and we're now at a pace where I have a database that, you know, there are 680 entries. Almost all of them are small makers. I probably, I, I, I find a new one in my Instagram feed. I think it seems like every day. Uh, I probably have 30 or 40 on my phone that I haven't entered into my database yet. So we're in this period of, you know, immense, immense growth um, in absolute numbers. So, you know, we've gone from one 20 years ago to 700 or more. Now, that's that's pretty amazing growth. However, what has happened is that although there are a lot of makers, you know, when you look at the absolute, when you look at the numbers, how much cocoa is involved? So of these 600 makers, how much cocoa are they buying every year? And then, you know, how much, how much is the value of the chocolate that they're selling? And where, um, you know, how is that value distributed? You know, how much is making to the farmer? And then how much is it, how much is the retailer getting? And what you realize that, um, it's still, you know, if, if the special, I like, I prefer specialty rather than craft. Um, because we have specialty coffee and when you say specialty chocolate, there's, oh yeah, okay. We get, there's analogies that make sense between the two. We're looking at, you know, maybe quarter to 
one half of 1% of the beans that are produced every year. You know, uh, maybe they're a quarter to half a percent of the chocolate, the global chocolate market. And while there are some ways in which it's influential, I think taken as a whole, some of the messages that they're, they're trying to give, give out to people. Many of these makers are, you know, marginal businesses. You know, are they going to be around in three years? Are they going to be around in five years? And the answer is a lot of them um, are not. And, you know, the world doesn't need another 70% two-ingredient chocolate made in an Indian wet mill uh, from, you know, uh, the same estate in Madagascar. You know, there are over 100 of them. You know, and as a new maker, you're coming in and you say, how do you do something different with this? How do you do something different from a packaging perspective? How do you differentiate what it is that you're doing from the hundred other people who are doing exactly, pretty much exactly the same thing you are? And not only that, but you were an accountant six months ago and now you're a chocolate maker. I mean, what do you really know about all this? Um, so there's a, there's a, I think there's a, there's some structural challenges uh, in front of the small chocolate maker, the specialty chocolate world um, that need to be, that need to be addressed. And they need to look at them realistically and not just say, uh, you know, this is revolutionary and we're going to change the world. You know, maybe. Right. Um, but uh, that optimism needs to be tempered, pun intended. Uh, with some pretty serious pragmatism. Being able to make a real lasting impact upon communities physically far from our own is such a common and worthy goal in specialty chocolate. We all want to make sure farming communities see the fruits of their labor. But just like in modern technology, you can't rely upon old methods to get new and better results. When somebody calls themselves a bean-to-bar chocolate maker, 90% of them only make bars. You know, and that is the most competitive segment of the marketplace. You, know, um, you should be saying, I'm a chocolate maker. What can I make with chocolate? Right. And, you know, how can I create products that are, in fact, cash cows? How can I create drivers of business? Right. Products that I can make that everybody wants to buy, buy all the time. Right. And I'm going to get into this two ingredient, you know, very high end, very geeky chocolate. You know, only when I run across cocoa beans that are really, truly, truly worthy of the effort of converting into that kind of chocolate. You know, it's it's not a compromise of principles. Right? And this is something that I came out of the fine arts realm. I can create myself right, a business structure where I am going to be a starving artist for the rest of my life. You know? And I can tell you, having done it, that eh, it's, it gets old pretty fast. Right. In the end. You know, what you want to do is I want to have a business where I have 10 different lines of business, each of which is making 15% of my income. Somebody asked me during a sort of an ask me anything that I did uh, at the DC chocolate festival a couple of years ago, how much money I'd want to start a chocolate business. And I wouldn't do it for less than a couple of million dollars. I would not start a chocolate business and I, unless I had a couple of million dollars. I think that that fundamental, I'm a bean-to-bar chocolate maker, and therefore the only thing I can make is bars in one form or another, is one of the biggest mindsets. And it's a self-imposed mindset. People are not examining their assumptions closely enough. Um, that these makers need to look at and say, oh, wow, listen, 
if I have an oven where I'm roasting my cocoa beans, maybe I should be baking brownies. Because you can make more money selling brownies than you can selling chocolate bars. All of that goes back to the fact that craft chocolate is an industry built upon innovation. It's no longer enough to be the first ones in a new territory. Thanks to previous innovations, people can order most bean-to-bar chocolates online. And that's good. It shows growth, something which young industries like specialty chocolate and the internet need. It keeps them interesting. So for somebody who, you know, likes to learn and, you know, likes to develop comprehensive understandings of things, I mean, chocolate is a fascinating, fascinating subject area, which you know, is constantly engaging in ways that, you know, put a smile on my face because oh, who knew, right? Really? Who knew? That stuff happens on a regular basis still after doing this for 20 years, more than 20 years. I still get surprised in in positive ways. If you have a $20 bill in your pocket, you can walk into a chocolate store, a good one, and have your pick from among the world's best chocolates. And you can't do that in beer, and you can't do that in wine, and you can't do that in spirits. The Queen of England with all of her billions cannot buy better chocolate than you can. So while the internet has kept craft chocolate interesting, Craft chocolate has done the same thing to the internet. Even though we don't typically think of the internet as a place you go to or escape to, it has undoubtedly become a destination for chocolate lovers of all types. No matter what you want to learn, the internet's got your back. Yep. Even on the road. And it turns out that mirror in your pocket? It's a smartphone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the episode in any way you see fit. Your support means so much to me. It really keeps me motivated and excited about sharing the stories and experiences of a range of amazing guests. So a huge thank you to today's guests, Clay Gordon, Pam Williams, and John Nancy. I can't wait to share more from you in upcoming bonus episodes, and maybe even some upcoming full-length episodes. To learn more about our guests, check out the show notes of this episode in the link in the description, or on my site at damecacao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road. Mm-hmm.